Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. What does the world of tomorrow look like? I know that back in the 80s, when I was imagining the future, this wasn't it. But I don't know that that's so much the world. I also think, I don't, because I, don't, I can't control that, right? Ukraine, pandemics, I have no control over that. I do have control over me and where I'm at. And, and I'm not talking about like living here in West Virginia as your, as your preacher. I'm not talking that so much because I couldn't have guessed that or controlled that. I couldn't have come if you hadn't invited me. So I have no control over that. Um, but where I'm at in my relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, that I've got control over. That I, can, that I can do. So we are continuing to read through the book of Ezra. And so we, we've, been, we've been working our way through the book, and, and, and King Cyrus let the people go back. After, you know, the, the Babylonians captured uh, Judah, carted them off into captivity 70 years later, Babylonians themselves got captured by the Persians. The Persian king Cyrus said, go home. And then we fast forward through too many kings named Xerxes and Artaxerxes back and forth. Um, and I can't even keep track of which one is which. I absolutely cannot. Um, and and we, we jump through a number of years. And that can be very deceptive when reading through the book of Ezra. And, and they're facing opposition. When we get to chapter 7, we've jumped forward enough that we're finally going to introduce... Ezra, to the book of Ezra. Um, and, 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 and because apparently he's the one probably that wrote it. But the first six chapters were kind of setting the stage on here's where the, here's where the people came back. But eventually Ezra enters the picture and the next king sends him to Israel. Ezra has not gone back with the remnant. That we called them the remnant because so few went back. The, the people of Judah were in captivity for 70 years. Most of them, I mean, you're blessed if you lived to the age of 70 and passed in today's day and age, but back then, without hospitals, without medicine, yeah, very, very, very few people remembered life in Judah. So for most people, Babylon, now Persia, was their home. Why go back to a place they've never been? So very, very few people went back, Ezra being one of those that hadn't gone back yet. But now it's, it's the time. So why do we care about Ezra? Why, why, why is this guy a big deal? Ezra was a teacher, and he is sent back by God to offer proper teaching for the people and to offer proper leadership. He comes back as a spiritual leader. I believe that God takes care of his church today. 
I absolutely do. Um, one of the ways that he does this is in a similar manner. I believe that God raises up the proper leaders and teachers in a church. Now, somebody's going to say, great, here, here's a sermon where Jason's going to pat himself on the back and say that he's a good... No, not, not in the slightest. That's not at all what this is about. Um, one of the biblical qualities of an elder is the desire to be an elder, that, that feeling of the call that this is something that I feel that God wants me to do and I want to do what God wants me to do. So it's not desire like selfishly I like to be in charge because quite frankly I don't see that elders are supposed to be in charge, although as shepherds leadership is part of their role, but a shepherd serves the flock and I think that that's a job of the elders. We ask the question, where are the next elders? Where are our next teachers? Where are our next piano players? Uh, the church, I think we all know this, the church of the 21st century in the United States is, by and large, older people uh, and, and kind of shrinking. We're, we struggle to bring in young families. A lot of people live their lives with the idea, I will go to church when I've got time. Got time is I'm not raising kids anymore, and a lot of times I've retired. (laughs) And that's why so many of our churches are struggling, is that we give God the leftovers. Every church is a generation away from dying off. This church is a generation away from dying off. So what do we want in leaders? For the church. Fred Price says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, become more, then you are a leader. Uh, but what, what an awesome responsibility. And I get why the opposite, this changed my life when I heard that the opposite of faith is not unbelief. Because faith isn't about what you think. It's about who you trust. So the opposite of faith is fear, that we can't trust God, that he doesn't have this, that that we shouldn't follow his plan. The opposite of faith is, is fear. Leadership takes courage. Teaching Sunday school takes courage. Helping on Wednesday nights, helping with VBS, I admit it takes courage. It does. But God calls us to it, and he is faithful. One of my professors in college, Dr. Charles Sackett, I appreciated that when he was talking about us as Bible college students entering into ministry, I deeply appreciate that he said, if you can do anything else, do it. That sounds counterintuitive, but you can't do ministry. The Bible says you can't look back. Uh, The plowman is not fit for the plow if he looks back. You're trying to get those, the plowman is trying to get straight furrows, and you're not going to do that looking around. You've got to stay focused on the task. And in the same way, I, I have heard too often with premarital counseling, somebody, couples say, when I ask them, why do you want to get married? I kid you not, I've heard the phrase too often, well, we thought we'd try this out. And now we know why marriages have such a problem today. 
because we've got people that think we'll give it a shot and if it doesn't the, the till death do us part we've made a lifelong commitment they haven't too many people haven't and there are people that treat christianity like that there are people that treat ministry like that and ministry doesn't work if you're trying it out ministry takes a commitment it takes it does take a dedication but we can do this it's time to call the 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 call of servant leaders isn't isn't halfway or part time we have to train up the next batch of christian leaders martin luther says that the qualities that the world looks for in a preacher are a fine accent learned eloquent handsome takes no money but they have money to give tells people what they want to hear martin luther says however the qualities of a good preacher are able to teach in a right in orderly way a good head a good voice a good memory <laughs> they know when to stop i like that one be sure of his material be be studied be diligent willing to stake his body and life and goods and honor on the task willing to suffer himself to be vexed and flayed by everyone the call to christian ministry and i and i want to emphasize ministry because what we're talking about not everybody is called to leadership everybody is called to ministry not all ministry is not not all ministry is is preaching a minister is not a preacher not all ministry is preaching not all ministry is leadership the word ministry means to serve and every christian is called to serve in one capacity or another every one of us i want to look today at the leadership that Ezra brought the ministry that he brought in his his ministry was leadership and look at him as an inspiration for ourselves uh and this is where the bible the bible writing techniques back then are different than they are now genesis is not entirely in order genesis tells us the story of abraham and then it backtracks and tells us the story of isaac and then it backtracks and a little bit and tells us the story of jacob and again with joseph and so we get we get kind of this zigzag pattern that gradually moves forward it's not entirely chronological ezra does this as well um chapter 7 ezra gets to judah and then chapter 8 gives us a flashback to when he was leaving persia so i'm going to reverse these today and i want to look at chapter and this is also i said we weren't going to read through all of the book there are a lot of lists of names and pots and pans and silverware and all these weird lists in Ezra we're going to skip a chunk of chapter 8 and i just want to get to kind of the gist the, the king has sent Ezra and told him you and your entourage you guys need you guys need to go to Judah so we're in chapter 8 verse 21 there by the ahava canal I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed 
to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road, because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. I like the story of the woman who would go out on her front porch every morning and pray rather rather loudly, praise God for her day. She had an atheist neighbor who just got, he just kept yelling at her, there is no God, because it just bugged him. And she would do that every, well, at one point she had a financial need, so her prayers began to change to not just praise, but also petitions for mercy in her life on her finances. And her neighbor thought, I'll show her. So he went out and got, her, got a load of groceries in the car and left them on her porch one morning. And she went out and saw, and she said, praise God, God provided food. And he jumped out from behind the bush and said, there is no God, I provided those. And she said, praise God, God provided the food and he made the devil pay for it. (laughs) Does, Does God take care of us? Absolutely he does. God takes care of us. We are so blessed. I keep saying this. I, there are a lot of problems in the world. I'm glad we are, we are blessed in the U.S. I've got a friend named John that lives in, in Kiev and in, in Ukraine. Um, I'm glad that we live where we do. I would feel blessed if I lived in Kiev, but we are especially blessed here. Um, I... There are 50 states in this country, and I think 49 of them are crazy. I, 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 I'm really glad you guys called me here. Um, I, I, don't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pick anywhere else. But, but it does, God could put us in the war zone in, in eastern Ukraine, and, and we're still blessed. But knowing that he hasn't, that we are here in peaceful Elkins, West Virginia, I think we're blessed. I think we have so little room to complain, and yet we do, don't we? We, we do complain. God takes care of us. Now, the harder question, do we trust him to take care of us? Let's be honest, because I think it's a harder question. It sounds easy at first, but then we get to the part where we say, how do we, how do we show that? How do we prove that we're walking by faith, that we trust God? Let's give an example. Um, finances. Do we trust God with our finances puts food on it we've got food on the table we've got roof over our heads um malachi let's give the old testament example malachi said to the people of israel malachi lived around the time of ezra maybe a little later malachi says when you don't tithe you're robbing god now let's on the one hand let me be clear the new testament doesn't command us to tithe but i think it's a great example of showing that we trust god 90% of christians in the us don't tithe and i don't want a blanket statement that that's a terrible thing uh, that every one of those people is 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 lazy. And there, there are people that can't tithe. Their finances are too tight. There are people that are tithing, and they could probably do more. But can you imagine the state if that's if that if that statistic is true? Can you imagine the resources we would have in the U.S. if people who weren't tithing who could afford to 
did so, trusted God, put put their finances where their treasures are. God is God is our priority and funding funding ministry is something that should matter to us. Um, yeah, times are Times are tough. I get, I get it. The economy is not doing great right now. Um, when I when I was single, living as a locksmith in Urbana, Illinois, there was I figured out how to live on a grocery bill of ten dollars a week. Now, in today's economy, that's sixteen bucks a week. Uh, not easy. A lot of ramen noodles. Lot lot. A lot of, oh, these potatoes are going on sale. Sack of potatoes for five bucks or something like that. I can eat on those for a while. Um, I'm not going to say that my health was the best uh, uh, nutritionally. But, I, man, it did, it did help me learn to, certainly didn't collect comic books back then. did teach me how to rely on God, and I, I don't look back on that with anger or bitterness. I look it back with, with quite a bit of fondness that God gave me the chance to learn to kind of rely on him, the money, I just didn't have the money to survive, and did, and, and, and did, got, somehow got, he always gets us through it somehow, I don't always know how, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a blessing to learn that we can rely and trust upon God, it's easy to talk about his watch care, and his protection, and his provision, cheap words, can we put them into practice? I like these verses. There's a dangerous trip ahead. Ezra has already promised the king, God's got this. And then he has to put money, the, the, the proverbial money where his mouth is, and then says, if God's got this, I can't, you know, if, I, if I'm going to, having told the king, God's got this, I now can't tell the king, we need guards. We need soldiers to protect us because I've already said that God's in control and he wants us to make this trip. So, if we can't trust God to watch over us, Ezra says, well, if, if God can't watch over us, why would the king's guards do any better? Ezra knew who had freed the people, from the, the, peop, the Jews from Babylon. Ezra knew who was holding his hand, the hands of the people of Judah, every step of the way. Don't need to trust men if God is on our side, correct? When we do God's work, God will enable us and bless us as he sees fit. Now, so we take this one step further. If he can take care of his people then, can he take care of his people now? Of course he can. God still takes care of his people, and he does it through his church. God takes care of his church. The church is where God perfects and saves his people. And I don't mean his people, the church, although that's absolutely true, but the church is God's tool to minister to the entire world. Because in that sense, we're all made in his image. God wants all men to be saved. He does it through his church. And I have faith that God continues to provide for his church in so many ways God provides. Now, let's go back to chapter 7. Because again, chapter 8 kind of takes place before chapter 7. So, chapter 7, verse 1. You know, just for the fun of it, we are going to read one of these lists. 
We're going to read about God's guidance. Also, also, there's, to me, a little bit of humor in here. Chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zeriah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest, this, this Ezra which I think is, just, just in case you're confused, we're going to be very specific on which Ezra we're talking about. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He'd begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. This is the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes had given to Ezra the priest and teacher, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a teacher of the law of God of heaven, greetings. Now, I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites, who wish to go to Jerusalem with you, may go. You are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Together with all the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon as well as the freewill offerings of the people and priests for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. With this money, be sure to buy bulls and rams and male lambs together with their, offer, with, with their grain offerings and drink offerings and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. A bit, a bit like that joke, isn't it? Praise God, he's rebuilding his temple and he's making the pagans do it. I, there, preachers have the funniest stories of their first sermons. Um, most of the guys I know, their first sermon was five minutes long. They just couldn't, when they wrote it out, they thought it was 30 minutes, they went to preach it. Their first sermon was five. I was asked to sit down. My first sermon was, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours. When, when, when they finally asked me to stop. <laughs> I, I, other problem for me. I, but for funny stories, I, I knew a Bible college president when, when he heard about my first sermon. He said, well, it's better than mine. He said, I didn't do enough research, and I just kind of quoted some scriptures from memory. And my key passage, I knew the verse backwards and forwards. There wasn't any need to look up exactly where it is, because doesn't everybody know that God helps those who help themselves in the Bible? It's not. 
it's not. He went on to become a Bible college president. Having, having said that God helps those who help themselves isn't a Bible verse. There is some truth to that statement. God saves us, but we can be some lazy couch potato Christians. It, we are not called to be lazy in our faith. We are expected to, well, the Bible says, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't leave us in the lurch. God guides us through his spirit. We have to learn to listen. We have to learn to follow. To put it another way, where God provides, he first guides. Will we listen to his guidance? The Christian walk is not a spectator sport. Paul says to run the race as if you're pursuing the prize. I, I have gone through times in my life when I have tried jogging. Usually lasts about a week or two. And then I say, this is too much effort. I'm not having fun. I'm going to quit. I would be in better health if I did stuff like that. I have a friend of mine back in Illinois uh, named J.W. And J.W. is a competitive, what was in his younger days, a competitive bodybuilder. One of those guys that did the competitions and... Um, did the whole posing, and, and I, I just, there was that day that I said, that just seems like a re- really weird, at least for the people I hang around with, a really weird hobby to throw yourself into to the extent that he did. He ended up in magazines and calendars, and why, why did you get into that? And he said, one day I was looking in the mirror, and he said, I didn't like the shape I was in. He said, it was just that simple. I didn't like what I saw. I didn't want to look like this for the rest of my life. This wasn't what, when I looked into my own future, this wasn't what I thought I would look like. So I thought I would take control, make the changes in my life, and the changes were worth it. And I, and I, and I respect that, because exercise, exercise takes discipline. Those of you that exercise regularly, well done for your discipline. Um, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift from God. I do think taking care of the Bible, uh, taking care of the body is good stewardship. And for those of you that take care of your bodies that way, good, good for you. That that's not easy. Um, so for us, let's imagine ourselves. What does being spiritually fit look like? Because that's that's even more important than physical fitness. What does it mean to look like spiritually fit? We have to help ourselves, right? We have to take control of our own lives. It requires preparation. We read that Ezra spent time preparing himself for his studies, his ministry. Um, We we read that the people in chapter 8 fasted and prayed. I know churches that will have revivals or or, or other things go on in the church. Uh, My previous church would do 24 hours of prayer before Revivals. We would have we would have sign up sheet in the back of the church, and people would come in in rotations, and there would be somebody sitting on the pew praying for twenty four hours before the revival. We would bathe it in prayer because we wanted that that we wanted God to be behind it. We wanted that success, and prayer works. It matters. It's not just talking into the sky or daydreaming. Prayer is powerful. Um, sports teams practice. Or they're not going to be good, right? We know this. College, first off, you're not going to easily get into college if you didn't put the time in high school studying, taking those entrance exam texts. And then when you get to college, the point of college is supposed to prepare you for the 
real world. It's supposed to prepare you for, for the workforce. It's, it's, you know, I, I assume they're still saying that a college degree in your lifetime, if you have a college degree, you'll probably make twice what the people without the degree. Well, it's supposed to prepare you for those tough jobs. I, I have read so many books on locksmithing, which it may sound boring, but it made me a better locksmith. It took me three attempts to pass the, the exam that gave me the letters CRL, Certified Registered Locksmith, took three attempts of, of studying books on life safety, FBI life safety codes and, and, and safe installation and all these you know, foreign and domestic automotive and motorcycles. and read all these books on the subject so, just so I could pass that test. But the test was, the purpose of the test was to say, yes, this guy can do the work. Ezra devoted himself I love that word devoted. And that's why God blessed him. He, he was learned in the ways of God. Despite all of this stuff, he still humbled himself. He still fasted. You know what entitlement philosophy is, right? I think that's more, more than ever we know that. It's the idea that somebody owes you. Uh, in, in the days when, when the Europeans first found this continent... The Europeans came over and they, they took the land from the, from, from the Native American populace. And their line of re- manifest destiny was the phrase for that. Their line of reasoning was, God has obviously blessed us. We have the better technology. This land is ours. They, they, we deserve this. I'm not just picking on the Europeans because, quite frankly, many of the Europeans were welcomed here by some of the tribes that were like, hey, the Aztecs keep capturing us and sacrificing us to their gods. We're happy to get some kind of new people in here that aren't conquering us. China was expansionistic, the Mongols were expansionistic, the Zulus were... Human nature is this kind of selfish idea that what is yours should be mine if I can take it. Many Christians have an entitlement theology. God owes me because because I'm awesome and because I call myself a Christian. But it's not your position that earns you his blessing, but it's your preparation. Ezra prepared his heart. That's why he was blessed. He didn't just sit around. It wasn't just because he called himself a follower of God. The health and wealth gospel can be very, that prosperity, health and wealth gospel can be very false because it kind of tells people you deserve this. God owes you. God doesn't owe you anything, but you can prepare yourself to receive his blessings. God prepares the hearts of men for works of service. I want to read from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We are called to be givers, not takers. I want to read, finish up in, in Ezra. I want to read uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 25, our, our last scripture from Ezra for the day. From King Artaxerxes' letter. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of trans-Euphrates, all who know the laws of your God, 
and you are to teach any who do not know them. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. That's where the letter ends. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. It is important to teach sound doctrine. Because with teaching, ideally, comes obedience. And without obedience, there is death. In Ezra's day, that was physically true. Less likely today to physically die for not obeying God. But there are fates worse than a physical death. Spiritually, we can't afford spiritual death. I I take sound teaching as a very important charge. I think it's an awesome responsibility because if you learn things wrong in this church, that's on me, at least in part. I mean, you should be reading the Bible and studying on your own. But as the preaching minister at this church, I, I need to make sure that what you're hearing at this church is, is, is sound and accurate. Consequently, I think that what we teach is a big deal and that it matters what you believe. Some people say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe, and that is nonsense. You know, some people say that God loves everybody and the, and the details don't matter, but he wouldn't have left us this book if the details didn't matter and told us again and again that, that teaching matters. Our obedience is important. You may not always like what I say, what the elders teach, what this church believes, but our goal is not to please men but to be obedient to God as shown to us in this book to the best of our ability. Sometimes what we teach will divide us from what the world teaches and what the world wants us to teach. If our goal was to please men, we could pack this house in a couple of weeks. Wouldn't wouldn't be difficult, but that's not our goal. In fact, if anything, there should be people that come into this church. If the Bible is to be believed, and small is the gate and narrow the way that leads to life, and few there are that find it, that Jesus is a stumbling block, that if that's true, then there should be people that get offended by what we teach. The gospel divides. Jesus gives us these words and about his goal wasn't to make everybody happy or even bring everybody together. That's a false Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
The gospel divides. A friend of mine in ministry in Illinois named Ron made the comment once. He said, this might not be the church for you, but there is a church for you somewhere, and praise, praise God for that. Um, we're a place where you can serve God and find the community that you need. And I, I believe that. Um, our, our goal is to do things here. Our, the goal is biblical perfection. I know that we're human and imperfect, but the goal is biblical perfection. Um, but there are other churches out there, and if this church doesn't fit you for whatever reason, there are other churches, and praise God if you go to those. I pity you if you decide this church isn't a good fit, I'm just going to stay home. Or, or I don't like the preacher, I'll show him, I'll stay home. You're not punishing me, you're punishing yourself. You're not punishing me. You are called to be consecrated to the Lord. Are Are you? You are called to be devoted to the bride of Christ, the church. Would, would you describe yourself that way? Or are you... The, Satan's good at a lot of things, but one of, the, one of his best abilities is to distract us. It is so easy to be distracted. Politics, economies, wars, viruses, hobbies, television, internet, social media. The world has so many distractions... They don't matter. Not, not in the scope of eternity. They don't matter. The Spirit calls us to be disciplined and to keep our eyes on the prize, which is following God uh, through His Son, Jesus. That's your call. I hope you're doing it.